Hello. Hi. What's your name? My name is Miss Kapow. Where do you live? I live here. What's the date? Today's date is January 8th. No, what? it's Monday, the 9th, 2016. Oh, yeah. 2017. 2017. You see? That's weird. I'm yesterday. I'm in yesterday, and I'm in last year. You're so messed Move up. Forward. Okay, it's January 9th. 2017. That's right. All year. <laughs> Today, we're going to talk about returning to Bethel, returning to Bethel. And this message is about returning to the basics, to the things that we once knew, the things that we held dear to our hearts. Do you remember, dear Kapow listeners, all three of you, when you received the Lord Jesus Christ, when he changed your life, mm-hmm. when you heard the gospel message and you realized it was a free gift of salvation and he died for your sins. And you said, I want to give my life to this God. I want to give my life to the Lord Jesus Christ, Yeshua Hamashiach. And you gave your life. And then, oh, you just like, your sins were forgiven and you were on a whole new journey, right? And you, you were reading the word. You had to read the word, right? And you were hearing the word. Maybe, you know, you're probably saved in a church that still spoke the word. And you grew in fellowship. You remember those days? Mm-hmm. And then what happens is over a period of time, you know, you can you can just kind of drift away. Maybe you don't really like backslide, backslide. You know, but you just kind of get involved in Canaan. And you get cares of the world. You quit. You quit your love grows cold, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Your first love. You, you kind of lose that. And so now and then you, you just have to take heed, take stock of your life, and you have to get back. Mm-hmm. You have to get back to Bethel. And that's what we're going to talk about. And we're, going to, we're going to use the scriptures to talk about getting back to Bethel mm-hmm. and what that means. Right, Ms. Kapow? Right on, brother. Right on, Ms. Kapow. Okay, so our text today is going to be from Genesis the main text is going to be Genesis um, 35. 35, 1 through 15. That's the main text. But we're going to go a little before that just to give it some context and some history and all those exegetical things that we need uh, to properly study the Word of God. Just briefly, those who listened to us last week and we talked about hermeneutics and exegetical study and we talked about using context and all this stuff. Like the next day, Miss Kapow and I were watching YouTube. Mm-hmm. I don't know the guy's name, but some guy, it, it popped up. Some video popped up. And he was um, he was saying how Trump was in the Bible. And I said, oh, I, I've got to watch this. Mm-hmm. And he starts off, believe it or not, he starts off his video saying that context is very important, people. Without context, you can't study the Bible. And So he's saying the same thing we were saying last yeah. week. I mean, he didn't mention the rest of exegetical study, but he no. he talked about context. Yeah, don't take it out of context. Yes, because that's big. And then he reads, um, was it out of uh, Ezekiel or Jeremiah? What are the ones? I don't remember. Where, where God is calling a, a man. To, to stand in the gap in the wall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that's Ezekiel. Probably Ezekiel. So he uses that scripture. <laughs> so in context, 
and in historical background, obviously you guys know that it was about Babylon destroying Israel and, and taking Israel into captivity. And so God was talking about prophets that would stand in the gap in the wall, the wall and, and proclaim God's word and warn them. Right. So this guy who just got done saying it's so important not to take things out of context, then uses this scripture and says, because Trump says he's going to build a wall. Yeah. This is, he was dead serious because Trump's going to build a wall. This is the man that God has standing in the gap in the wall. So Trump has prophesied, you know, 5,000 years ago, the ancient book of Ezekiel. I mean, come on. And, mm -hmm. um, I know. and I thought, Oh my Lord, I wish I would have known this uh, a day before when we did the show last week. Cause this is a perfect example of stupidity, mm -hmm. spiritual stupidity. So, we're not going to do that today. No. We're going to talk about returning to Bethel. Right, Mr. Powell? That's right, Brother Kapow. Okay, so what we have here is the story of Jacob, Jacob. And Jacob, basically, where we start this story from is he's fleeing from his brother's wrath. He has just ripped off the birthright. He just fooled him mm -hmm. um, for the blessing the whole bit. And so now Esau is a little ticked at him. And Esau says, when my father Isaac dies, I'm going to kill this dude. Mm -hmm. I'm going to kill this dude. So Jacob is the beginning of his problems are just now beginning. Mm -hmm. And he's mm -hmm. starting to run. The other thing I want to emphasize, it's really easy to read these stories and read about Jacob and stuff and go, wow, you know, look at this guy trying to circumvent God's blessing all the time. And he's a little weasel and this and that. But it's something we all do. And when you read these stories, in hindsight, you know how it ends and you know God's plan. But when you're living life, like we all do, you don't see these big pictures. And so it's yeah. easy to uh, try to grab God's blessings yourself and try to make things work for yourself. Right. It's an easy thing to do. And uh, we all do that. You know, absolutely. Um, a real, real short story. When I first came back to Christ after being backslidden for 30 years, mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I couldn't even study the Bible. I couldn't even read it. I didn't understand it, you know, especially King James. I had no idea. You know, it's just, I needed help. And my model at work was always to get a guru. And I don't mean like a Hindu guru or spiritual guru. That's what you called them. They were gurus. They were men who were um, higher ranking than you, had more experience, older than you. Mm -hmm. And um, you you would ask them to mentor you mm -hmm. and they would become your guru and they would help you because they had already worked the job that you had. And so they would help you. Plus it was good for your career because as you promoted up the ladder, the guys ahead of you already knew who you were mm -hmm. and uh, it showed that you had a real teachable spirit and you wanted to learn. So that was, that was my mode. So at work I would always hook up. I would try to find a guru and I had a, um, at least a couple of captains that uh, I got to maybe a deputy chief now and then that were um, like my mentors. Mm -hmm. So when I got saved, the same thing happened. And I was like, I need a guru. I need, I need a pastor. I need a man of God to guide me. And so um, I began to, to look for this. Um, and of course I couldn't get close to our pastor because it was like a little mega church and you know, you just didn't get close to the guy. And uh, he didn't have that kind of personality, mm -hmm. you know, that, you know, he would love. Well, on he you. had guards around. Him. <laughs> yeah, he had guards. I was one of them. I ended up being one of them. But, um, 
<laughs> exactly. He had armed security around him. So he wasn't really the kind of guy that's going to be your spiritual mentor. But I had asked one of the, the ministers of the Spanish, uh, a Spanish pastor to be my spiritual padre. And he says, of course, I'll be your spiritual padre, you know, and guide you. Uh, he ended up falling away in sin, sexual sin. But I remember this distinctly. I was driving to work uh, one day and I was praying to God and I was going, God, I just, I need somebody. I need somebody to guide me through all this spiritual mess. I'm getting attacked by demons and I'm trying to, you know, figure this stuff out. And it was really distinct in my prayer. God distinctly told me that he would not send me a man, that I would need no man to teach me the word, that God himself would be my teacher. I kid you not. He Mm -hmm. told me that. Well, that's absolutely scriptural. Mm -hmm. I didn't need a guru. And now that I look back, I understand completely what God did. Had I hooked up with a human, I wouldn't be here today. I'd be all messed up because humans mess you up, you know, especially these so-called leaders. So I tell that story to say this, when, you, when you're looking at Jacob, it's easy to go, gosh, how come he did all this stuff and circumvented blessings? But it's easy to do when you don't get the big picture. Mm-hmm. The important thing is, is you listen to the Lord, right. which he ended up doing and which I end up doing and you're going to end up doing. Correct. Mm-hmm. All right. You have a, uh, a, before we begin, you have a story about a friend oh, of yeah. yours. Mm-hmm. And this goes good with this lesson. Would you tell that right now? Sure. I have a, a, a girlfriend, and she lives in another state. She goes to a church, and she really likes this church. But she was telling me that um, she's going to be t- teaching um, at their lady, ladies' Bible study. And this is what she wrote. This is what she texted me. Okay. She goes, I will be teaching our ladies' Bible study, and our pastor's wife said we should do a book study because most of the ladies don't even read their Bible outside of church. Wow. And I was like, what I had told her I had to read that several times and I said that can't be true and she said yeah they because they spend so little time in the word she's going to read out the book of John well that's even if they let her read the if actual they let Bible. her do that more than know. likely they have a Beth Moore book mm-hmm. but it's the pastor's wife that said that yeah. so that means that the pastor's don't encourage mm. the congregation to bring their Bibles, to read their Bibles, to be familiar with the Word of God. Yeah. A- absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, you could blame the people, and I do, but we blame the shepherds. Well, yeah. Are you kidding me? You're going to church. They're responsible for that flock. Mm-hmm. But they're telling her, um, you're going to have to teach out of a book because our women, they don't really read the Bible. They're not familiar with it. So we can do a, a study called, uh, you know, Successful Women of God, mm-hmm. written by Beth Moore or, you know, Kate Smith or whatever her name is. Um, but there's no, there's no word. There's a famine. There's a famine. So they need to return to Bethel mm-hmm. to those very first things, right? They do that. All right. So without further ado... We find Jacob in channel, in channel, in chapter, channel, I've been messing with audio too much. In chapter 28 of Genesis, in chapter 28 of Genesis, right before that, we find Jacob fleeing from his brother Esau because of the wrath. He just uh, made Esau very mad when he uh, ripped off the blessing and the birthright and the whole bit. So Esau's going to kill him. 
So we go to Genesis 28, verses 10 through 22, and we're going to read about um, Jacob's ladder, this stargate that he saw, this portal into heaven uh, that he saw through a dream. And we're going to analyze God's promise to him, which is the same promise to Isaac and the same promise to Abraham. Mm -hmm. This is God's promise. What it is, how God would fulfill it, and why. And then the important thing is Jacob's vow, what it was, how he intended to do it, and why he vowed. And, you know, and then the name of Bethel. And the name of Bethel has, in the Hebrew, has something to do with resting and pillar. You know, where he rested his head on this, this stone and then made it a pillar. It has something to do with rest. And that always reminds me of Hebrews, you know, about finding rest in the land. Mm-hmm. So, like, the Bible is so deep. There's so much layers and stuff to it. We're just going to hit one of these these onion layers today. But there's a whole bunch whole bunch to it. But the the primary, the, the message we want to get across is, is to return to Bethel, to those things that we once believed in Mm -hmm. those things that were important like this church that's not studying the word anymore Mm -hmm. and reading stuff out of a book they need to return to those things Mm -hmm. that once meant something to them right so now jacob went out from beresheba and went towards haran he was going to haran to get a wife so it was his mother's brother's household so he's going to haran Haran, Haran, which is just fun to say, right? So he's going there to get a wife. And so he came to a certain place and he stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and he put it at his head and he lay down in that place to sleep. And then he dreamed Mm -hmm. and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you. And will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. And then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. Mm-hmm. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And that's what Bethel means house of God. House of God. Mm-hmm. And then Jacob rose early in the morning and he took the stone that he had put at his head and he set it up as a pillar and he poured oil on top of it. Mm -hmm. And he called the name of that place Bethel and the name of that city had been Luz previously. Mm -hmm. And then Jacob made a vow and he said, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and, and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set as a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I shall surely give a tenth to you. All right. So what you have here is God's promise. You know, what, you know, what is God's promise to Jacob here? And you could break it down. And he said, 
Um, you know, the land which you lie, I will give to you in your descendants. You know, there's a land thing here, and we know through Hebrews that our land, our Zion, is a spiritual Zion. Mm-hmm. So when we're, we're getting back, we're getting we're getting back. We're in this prison planet here. We're born in this prison planet, and we're getting back to that eternal life. Right. Right. So that's the land, and God has promised us that eternal life and that, that, that rich land. I mean, right. we can apply that to, to ourselves here. And so God says, and also to your descendants, shall be, you shall be as the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and the east. So he's promising. It's like Genesis, in the early part of Genesis, where it says, be fruitful and multiply. Mm-hmm. You know, go out. I'm going to bless you. And, uh, and you will be a blessing to all the families of the earth. But then God promises in verse 15 that he's going to be with Jacob and he will keep you wherever he goes and will bring him back to the land and he will not leave him until he has done all that was spoken to him. And this is important because today, how many of you listening to me today have trouble? You're going through all kinds of trial and tribulation and, you know, stress. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so common in our Christian life that, I mean, many people think you become a Christian and then everything's going to be smooth. Mm-hmm. And it's just the opposite. It's not smooth because you're stuck in this world. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a constant struggle. Right. And Jacob is just about to embark in a very uh, hard time in his life where it's a constant struggle with men and with God and with everything. Right. He's just constantly fighting and wrestling with everything for years. Mm-hmm. But God had promised him in that struggle, I'm going to be with you through everything you go through and I'm going to bring you out. Mm-hmm. And because we are in Christ now, those promises are for us too, where God says he will never leave us nor forsake us. Then when we go to Matthew um, 28, 20, it's, it's Jesus telling his disciples, um, well, I'll read from 19. It says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Amen. Yes. And that's our promise as well. As well yeah. And, and, and that's important to know because we're not just doing a historical Bible study. Mm-hmm. We're applying it to ourselves as God-fearers mm-hmm. and Yeshua worshipers. It applies to us. That land is ours. Mm-hmm. And of course, you all know I'm not talking about Palestine or the land of Israel. I am talking about that spiritual land, that real Zion mm-hmm. that awaits us. And we're in this world, in this struggles with man and with God and with ourselves and with unseen entities. Mm-hmm. But God has given us a promise. He's going to take us out. He's going to, he's going to work it out. So we know that there's so many of us that suffer from, you know, financial difficulties. Mm -hmm. We have health issues, uh, struggles with family or loved ones, spouses, kids. Emotional distress. Yes. And we just live in in a fallen world and there's all kinds of things around us. But we can hold on to those promises. He's going to bring us out and he's going to do for us what he's going to do. Right. Even if we try to circumvent it and try to grab our own blessings mm-hmm. now and then, he's always going to make it work. That's right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But it's best to rest. Rest your head, and you call that place Bethel. Mm-hmm. So that's the place where Jacob met God, heard from God. He fell asleep. 
He sees this vision. He has this portal, this stargate. He sees these angels ascending and descending, and he hears God's promise. That's what God promises. And how is God going to keep that promise? Because he says, I will be with you wherever you go. Because he knows Jacob is going into some real struggle. He's going to a time of his life where it's going to be really, really hard. Mm -hmm. And he says, I'm going to be with you wherever you go. And I will bring you back. Right. I will, I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. And that's how God's going to do it. Mm -hmm. And the reason why is because God has made that promise to Isaac and Abraham. Mm -hmm. That's God's promise. And it's just so much like God. He always gives you what you need to go that to do the course that he is, that you, that you were set on. Amen. Yes. Yeah. Yes. His strength you, is sufficient. Mm -hmm. Right. So when Jacob arose, he makes a vow. What's that vow? How is he going to fulfill it? And why did he make that vow? Well, he made that vow because he said, truly, this is the house of God, mm -hmm. Bethel. It's the gate of God. And he, so he makes this vow and he sets it up and he says, um, if God will be with me, like he promised me and said he would, and keep me in all the way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on. And you just said that, Ms. Kapow, where you said God will give you what you need mm -hmm. to get you through where you're, where you're going. Now, I don't read in there where he's going to give Jacob a Cadillac mm -hmm. you know, or a house in Malibu. He's going to give him clothes and food sustenance to get him through. And he says, if you'll do this, what you say, then the Lord, the Yahweh shall be my Elohim shall be my God. That's the vow. See, that's the vow we make when we receive Christ, Christ, you give me this free gift of salvation. You're going to keep me. You're going to give me eternal life. Then you will be my God and I will be your people. Mm -hmm. Right? That's Bethel. That's getting back to where, we once had our hearts, right? So then he sets up a pillar and he says, this is going to be the house of God and everything you shall give me, I will give back a tenth. That's worship. Mm -hmm. See, that's not a tithe to the church mm -mm. or to, you know, Jimmy Swaggart Ministries. That's a tithe to God. That's worship, a tenth. He's going to sacrifice a tenth of everything he has in worship of God and consume it in joy and in happiness at the place where God appoints the moed right right so what you have there in that brief little narrative i re read was god's promise to jacob what it was and then jacob's vow so that i want you to think about your commitment when you received christ as your personal savior you went to bethel he gave you a promise of eternal life and an eternal land and you vowed to give him your, your heart and your life and your soul. Mm -hmm. That's Bethel. And it's easy living in this world of struggle to lose sight of that. Right. So that's what this is about. We're encouraging you to get back to Bethel. To your first love. To your first love. And I will say this, it's a good time to say this, that in the uh, late 70s and early 80s and stuff, there there was Christian music out there. And I don't know if anybody writes this way today or not, because I don't listen to that genre at all. Mm -hmm. But there was Christian music out there. Well, number one, it was very eschatological. 
a lot of people wrote songs about the second coming of Christ right, I in the that. in the in the 70s and 80s. Um, the other thing is that there were artists who wrote songs about repentance, mm -hmm. about getting back. And one particular song when we were preparing this message that came to my mind was a song called Welcome Back, written by Chuck Gerard, mm -hmm. uh, the original um, member of Love Song from the Calvary Chapel days, the Maranatha music days in the late 60s and 70s. And so I found that song and listened to the words again. And it's uh, beautiful, beautiful words. And he talks about welcome back, welcome mm -hmm. back to the things that you once believed in. You know, welcome back to um, welcome back to Jesus. Right. You know um, that you know you've strayed, but now you're coming back. And so this song is a beautiful song about coming back mm -hmm. to Bethel. So I'm going to play that song at the end of this show. Mm -hmm. And it may not be the style of music you like. It's a slow song. It uh, may bore you to death. I don't know. Just try to listen to the words right. if you can bear with it. It's really pretty. The other artist was Andre Crouch, and he mm -hmm. wrote a song called uh, "Take Me Back." And the lyrics are, take me back uh, to the place where I first received you. Mm -hmm. And it's a repentance song about right. coming back to the Lord. I don't know if anybody's writing that way anymore, but back then they did. And But the message is still strong. We need to get back to Bethel. Amen. Right? Mm -hmm. Do you have any other scriptures to, to jump in there? Okay. So we're not going to read all the narrative and stuff, but after this happens to Jacob, he meets God in Bethel and names that place Bethel house of God and receives the promise and makes a vow. The narrative then has Jacob moving on to his father-in-law's house, his future father-in-law's house, Laban, and he marries Leah and he marries Rachel. He serves Laban for 14 years in struggle he himself is deceived about his wives, and uh, Laban <laughs> takes advantage of him because God has blessed Jacob, so Laban's house is getting blessed because of Jacob. So he's deceiving, and he has this guy working like double the years for his the promise of his daughter. You could read the story, but any of you are familiar with it. And so we find uh, Jacob uh, with Laban, working for him, for the two daughters, for his wives. Uh, he has children. This is where he has the 12 tribes of uh, Israel through uh, Rachel and Leah and also their maidservants. And then he has conflict with his father-in-law over the sheep and the, um, you know, the livestock mm -hmm. because uh, Laban's sons are accusing Jacob of, you know, stealing from him and you know, there's all kinds of problems. Once again, he's in a foreign land. He's out of the land of promise. God had sent him away on this journey to get his wives and to establish Israel. And God has promised to bring him back to the land. But while he's in that foreign land, he's having nothing but struggle, nothing but problems. And that's the way we are. We're in this foreign land. We're on this earth in a fallen world and we have nothing but struggle. Mm -hmm. and conflict but we got to hold on to those promises and we got to get back to bethel that's the whole goal getting back to bethel and that was jacob's goal so you find jacob's flight from laban it comes to a head and he he flees from his father-in-law taking his wives and, and everything with him and then when laban catches up with him it, it comes to a head and god tells laban not to hurt jacob because uh, he's blessed. And anyway, they, they make a covenant together. 
And so Jacob then starts his return back to the land of his fathers after, you know, 14 plus years of just pure struggle with everybody, even with his wives, because Rachel was jealous because she couldn't bear children and Leah was bearing children and yeah. they were doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And this poor guy, you know, was uh man, you know, he was, uh, he was getting smacked every different direction. So he starts returning to the land of his father's. And God's promised to, to be with him. And, but you want to notice this and that Jacob's life was hard, man. Mm-hmm. It was full of struggle. It wasn't some easy Joel Olstein sermon. <laughs> you know, God's going to give you extra power today and you're going to be extra super cool and smart. You know, it's, it's a struggle, man. Mm-hmm. The, the real, real Christianity is a struggle because you live in a fallen world. You're born in a prison planet. You know, you're under this, these oligarchy of these fallen angels, and that's not the way it should be. Mm-hmm. But we have a promise, and we got we got to get back to Bethel. You know, and so you'll find that Jacob's life is hard and full of struggle, and he anticipates the promise and the return to his homeland. So for the rest of the narrative, that's what you're going to see in the narrative, right? Mm-hmm. So anything to add in that part there? Okay, now we're going to look at some of the signs that he sees, and go to. Um, you see, chapter thirty, chapter thirty-two, verses one and two. I just want to read those two verses because it's it's kind of an interesting thing to read, and it just pops up, and you're like, "What?" And you kind of wish the Bible, I do, would have elaborated more on this. But you have Jacob and his family on his way back to the Promised Land, and in chapter thirty-two, verse one and two, it says, "So Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him." Stop. What? What does that mean? How did that look? How did they meet him? What what angels? It just says it like it's just there. And you can speculate and add everything you want to it, but that's all the Bible says about it. And to me, it's like, man, that's huge. Mm -hmm. That's a huge sign. So now you're going to start seeing these signs of God's promise. And you're going to see this now. And so... He's on his way back, and the angels of God met with him, met him. And in verse 2, it says, When Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's camp. And he called the name of that place Mahani, Mahaniaim, or whatever, Mahaniaim. Uh, it's God's camp. So can you imagine? You're tooling along life, and you're struggling, and you're having problems, and you're trying to get back to Bethel, and you come across across god's camp of angels mm-hmm. and angels meet you i mean how did he know they were angels who were they how did they act uh how they, i mean there's so many unanswered questions in those two little verses that we, we just won't know mm-hmm. but i think it's just incredible it's just written like yeah you know he met angels camp of God, you know <laughs> move on um you know and i realized too that you know you, you we're in a book of genesis and you got to realize that when uh the garden of eden was closed off to man you know, angels were were set there, you know, to keep man from entering and getting that tree of life. Mm-hmm. So there's there's probably places there, you know, spiritually that you you still have encampments of angels guarding things. And, mm-hmm. um, Jacob ran into that. So that was like a huge, huge sign because yeah. he just spent 14 plus years struggling in life. And now all of a sudden he's seeing angels, mm-hmm. you know, prior to his struggle, he has this vision, this this portal, the stargate where he sees the angels, but now he's actually seeing them. I thought that was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. And then from then on, you know, you have the narrative of Jacob's intense fear and apprehension of meeting uh, his brother Esau again. And 
the scriptures bear all this out. I mean, he's really afraid that Esau's going to kill him. Mm -hmm. And Esau came out to meet him with 400 men. And uh, you can read about this and how Jacob once again, um, you know, instead of just relying on, hey, God's going to take care of me. And I don't blame him for doing these things, believe me. But, you know, he, he gets all these gifts together and he formulates a plan and he mm -hmm. separates his family because he's really thinking, oh, man, if this goes this sideways, it. Esau's going to whack me, you know. And uh, but here's the other sign. Here's the other miracle. God has changed Esau's heart. Mm -hmm. He has changed his Esau's heart. And that's amazing. Uh, in chapter 32, verses 23 through 32, we're going to read that. Um, you're going to we're going to find another sign here. So not only does Jacob see the camp of angels on his way back to Bethel. He actually wrestles with one <laughs> in the, in the Hebrew it's called an is a man, but clearly it's an angel of God. Uh, what's interesting about this story is that the angel could not overcome Jacob, mm -hmm. which come on, really? Jacob was kind of a strong dude. I just want to point something out that I just kind of discovered when he met his wife, Rachel, and they were watering the flocks. He met the, the shepherds there, and, the sh and he was like, well, why are we all hanging around in the afternoon instead of watering the flocks and getting back in the pasture? And he says, we have to wait till the other shepherds get here so we can roll away the stone. Mm -hmm. The stone was so big, it took a number of men to do it. Right. And so when Jacob saw Rachel coming, he single-handedly rolled the stone away from her to water Laban's mm -hmm. flock. Um he was a strong guy. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. uh, so anyway, yeah, it's actually in there. But the angel wrestled with Jacob, and he couldn't overcome this guy. And so the angel then, uh, you know, tell him, "Hey, let me go." You know, daybreak's coming, and Jacob says, "Not until you bless me." Mm -hmm. So there he goes again, man. Give me a guru. Bless me, you know. Mm -hmm. And so this angel says, "From now on, your name's going to be Israel," because. You know, Jacob had struggled with God and with men and had overcome Israel. And it's all about struggle, folks, and it's all about getting back to Bethel. So it's a beautiful sign. I'm going to read that, uh, verse 23 through 32. And it says, And he took them and he sent them over the brook. He's talking about Jacob's family. And sent them over what he had. So he, got, he split his family apart and sent them over the brook. And then Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. That's what the Bible says. A man. So he's here he is alone. He takes his family. He sends them over the, the river, the stream or whatever, and all his possessions. And so he's alone. And then some dude just shows up and starts fighting with him. <laughs> but it's tied into with the camp of the angels, the camp of God, all these angels that he met. Um, and so verse 25, now when he saw that he did not prevail against him. Oops, did I miss something? Okay, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day, and this is the angel. And when he saw that he did not prevail against him, Jacob, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, the angel said this to Jacob, let me go for the day breaks. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Mm -hmm. uh, so he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then the angel said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Mm. And then Jacob said, well, what's your name? And he says, why do you want to know my name? 
And then um, he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of that place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. And then it says, just as he crossed over uh, Pemuel, the sun rose on him and he limped on his hip. So this wasn't a dream. It wasn't a vision. This was a real thing uh, because he had a real injury from his his wrestling match there. Right. Kind of an incredible thing. Once again, an incredible story that's just kind of put in there that I wish Moses would have added more detail to that. What do you mean? What man? What angel? How? How does this happen? Mm -hmm. So what I'm saying, folks, is that as we struggle in this world and we're trying to get back to Bethel, you may or may not wrestle with an angel, but God is going to give you signs of his assistance and his help. And um, you'll be there. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So uh, the other day I was talking to God. And I said, Lord, I, I don't want to be I don't want to be one of those guys that, you know, every time I, I look at some weird cloud formation or, you know, or something in the sky, it's like, oh, it's a sign in the sky. Jesus come. You know, I don't want to be that. And I go, you know, if, if, if there's a sign that, you know, we're we're really at the, the in in hour, the very last hour of the end of this age, you know, I want a real sign. You know, I don't want, you know, a dog sun. I don't want to see two suns or rings around the moon or blinky lights in the sky and all that stuff. I, I want to see a real sign. You know, I want, I want an angel of God to come up to me and say, Hey, you know, get ready because that we're short or something. Right. So I was, I was, that's what I was praying. And then like that night I got up in the middle of the night and, um, I looked at the clock and the clock was, uh, uh, three, three, three. Mm -hmm. It was three in the morning, 33 minutes after three. An occultic number, you know, 33rd, 333. Three, three. And the first thing I thought of as soon as I saw that, oh, it's 333. Three, three. And then I thought, that's stupid. That's just nonsense sign, nonsense numerology. Quit doing that. Mm -hmm. Quit following that. It's, does, it means nothing. It's just, it's not even a sign. It's goofy. And so I got up to go to the restroom, and and so that same thought that I talked to God came to me. If I'm you're going to give me a sign, I want a real sign. You know, I want an angel of the Lord. And then behind me, we have a, a closet, an open closet. And then I said to myself, but not now, because if you do it now, I'm going to come out of my skin. It's going to be bad, you know, if I, uh, if I look behind me and there's a man standing there. And he goes, uh, Paul, I have heard your prayer. Here this I is am. the sign. Mm -hmm. Pack your bags, you freak. Uh, so anyway, uh, where was I? I digressed. Okay, so the angel wrestles with Jacob, but he can't. He can't overcome him. So Israel now is his new name, which means I struggled with God, um, and he's overcome. Right. So are we overcomers? I think there's a scripture about overcoming in Revelation. Mm -hmm. Yep. Those who overcome by. The blood of the lamb. Mm -hmm. We're overcomers. We have to struggle. We have to overcome the struggle. It's not easy. Mm -mm. It's not pie in the sky. We've got to get back to uh, Bethel. All right. So in chapter 33 of Genesis 1 through 17, we find that uh, finally Jacob and Esau meet. And God changes Esau's heart. And he embraces Jacob and gives him a, a big kiss. And, you know, God, God took care of him. Now, in chapter 33, 
verses 18 through 34. I'm, I'm sorry, verses 18 all the way through chapter 34 and verse 31. We have what I call the Dinah incident. And Jacob had one daughter. He had uh, the, uh, at that point, he had 11 sons of the tribe of Israel and the one daughter. And we, you can, this is a whole story in itself. It's the Dinah incident where she goes out to see. They're, they're encamped around a city called Shechem mm-hmm. in the land of the Canaanites. He's still on his way back to uh, Bethel or whatever. But he's he's encamped around Shechem. It would be really easy for him just to stay there mm-hmm. and quit journeying. It'd be really easy because it was pretty comfortable. And uh, he had all his livestock and all his wealth and everything was cool. And so his daughter Dinah goes out to see what uh, the, daughters the daughters of mm-hmm. Shechem are doing and kind of hang out and go to a concert, <laughs> you know, go to a J-Lo concert or something. And she ends up getting molested by the prince of Shechem. Mm-hmm. And he molests her, but he uh, he loves her. He digs her. He wants to marry her. So he goes to uh, to Jacob, and Jacob had found out that his daughter had been defiled. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the brothers were in the field, and they found out their sister had been defiled. So the uh, prince of Shechem and his, his dad, the king of Shechem, they, they go to Jacob and they try to strike a deal. And they go, hey, my son loves your, your daughter. And I know he raped her, but, you know, it was a J-Lo concert and they were all smoking uh, ganja and um, wacky weed. And then things happen. So, so he tries, they try to make a deal. And he goes, um, if you give your daughter to us, my son, then we will make a covenant with you and we will give you our daughters for marriage and your daughters and we'll exchange wealth. You can buy and sell in Shechem. You can set up shop and business and uh, it's a good deal, mm-hmm. right? So it'd be really easy for Jacob. And we don't know the biblical narrative doesn't say if he even considered this or not, but it would be real easy to stay there because it's the things of the world have now made things good. The struggle's mm-hmm. over, and you're like, wow, I'm being blessed. I kind of hooked up with this guy, you know, and he's t- kind of taking care of me now. And if we hook up together, we can form this great partnership, and we can make money. And mm-hmm. all I have to do is kind of give you my kids, and they'll give my kids, and we're, we're, we're going to intermingle. The problem is, is that God had told Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, you're not going to you're not going to intermingle with the Canaanites. Mm-hmm. You can't do that. So there was there's a problem uh, right there. So in this incident, the the word gets to the the brothers, and they're they a little ticked off, and uh, so they deceive um, the Shechemites and say, well, yeah, we'll do that. Yeah, we'll do that. But uh, you know, you have to be circumcised. We can't join together with you unless our men are circumcised, and they agree to do that because. Like the the word says, uh, they saw that Jacob's wealth, their wealth would be theirs mm-hmm. also. So they, uh, the, every man in the city circumcised themselves. And on the third day, when they're still in a lot of pain, the uh, Simeon and Levi go in there with the sword and they whack everybody. They kill everybody, all the men. And um, then they take all the women and children and all their possessions hostage. They loot the whole city. Right. For making their uh, sister a whore, mm-hmm. and yeah, that's the for that's violating the, her. Yeah, that's the Dinah incident. So you can see you now you can see Jacob. Oh boy, he has struggles again. You know he's got problems again. Now Jacob he he rebukes his sons because 
he's he's he has a fear of reprisal from the Canaanites around him. I mean, he, he says, "Man, they're going to come and they're going to come and attack us, and I'm not big enough to fight them." You know, but what did God do in that incident? God created a fear among all the other nations around him, so they didn't mess uh, with Jacob and his sons, his family. Mm-hmm. God created that. So it's kind of an interesting story that's in there. Um, I remember the first time I ever heard that story as a kid, I was like, well, you know, Jacob shouldn't be such a, you know, wuss. The sons did what they, they should do. They violated the, the, mm-hmm. the daughter, you know. Um, and it's easy to think that way in your Western American mind. In your but carnal mind. In your yeah. carnal mind. But, you know, we weren't there. <laughs> you know, we weren't Bedouin um, travelers back in that day uh, where you can just get attacked by people very easily and uh there's a bigger picture to that anyway so his struggle uh you know there's another struggle there and he's like oh man you know what's going on so it's right after this incident and this is our main scripture this is i've i've been building up to this point it's right after this dinah incident that we find in genesis 35 1 through 15 our main scripture about returning to bethel okay so I am going to read that, 35, 1 through 15. So remember, Jacob has spent a life of struggle. He's going back to the promised land of his fathers. God has promised to be with him. He says, uh, if you do that, I promise that you will be my God, and I'll be your your man, and I'll worship you, and blah, 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 right? So after this incident, then God says to Jacob, arise. Go up to Bethel and dwell there. Check that out. Not only go up there, but stay there. So when we return to Bethel, when we return to those things that first moved us, mm-hmm. stay there. Let's not, let's not leave. Right. Stay there. Don't go to the left or to the right. Yes. Go to Bethel and dwell there and make an altar there to God. Worship him. Who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother? And Jacob said to his household, here's Jacob's response to this. He said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel. And I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me in the way which I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands and all their earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree which was by Shechem. And they journeyed. And the terror of God was upon the cities that were all around them, and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. Mm -hmm. So Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And he built an altar there and called the place El Bethel, because there God appeared to him when he fled from the face of his brother. All right. And then it says, now Deborah... Rebecca's nurse died and she was buried below Bethel under the Tabernacle tree. So the name of it was called Alon Bakuth. Then God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padam Aram and blessed him. 
And God said to him, your name is Jacob. Your name shall not be called Jacob anymore, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. Also, God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you, and kings shall come from your body. The land which I gave Abraham and Isaac, I give to you and to your descendants after you. I give this land. Then God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. Mm. So Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him, a pillar of stone, and he poured a drink offering on it, and he poured oil on it. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spoke with him, Bethel. And that's the main text. That's what I want to get at. So let's break this down. We have the return to Bethel. The command that God gives to Jacob is go and settle there. Don't just go and visit. Settle there. Mm -hmm. So as we return from the struggles of this world and the struggles of this life, and we want to return to our first love, those things that tugged our heartstrings when we heard the gospel and and realized the, the beautiful salvation that we had, let's stay there. Let's not go sideways again. Like Ms. Kapow says, to the left, to the right. Two, build an altar to God. What does that mean? That means worship. Your life is the altar. You're the living stones of the building now. You're the altar. Your life is the altar. Build that altar to God. Give him the sacrifice. Give him the tenth. Give him the worship. God appeared during intense struggle, is what it says. Jacob says, we're going to go back to Bethel, where God had appeared to me during my flight from my brother. So God meets, meets you, like, at your lowest point. Mm-hmm. You know, you think back, you know, I, that's why I like hearing people's testimonies. They're, like, at the lowest point of their life. They hit bottom, man. And you know what? It's just not God. a one-time thing. You know, when you journey with God, there are times when you have to repent of other things yes. that he shows you. Yes. It's, it is. It's, that's that struggle. Mm-hmm. You're constantly uh, allowing the Holy Spirit to get rid of those things that are displeasing mm-hmm. to him. Yeah. Yeah. You never arrive and go, hey, I'm super clean. Cool. Mm-hmm. You know, it's there's always that you're in that that fallen state. And then the important thing here, too, is Jacob tells his family and all that were with him. Now, remember, the sons of Jacob just got done ransacking Shechem, killing all the men, and they took the women and the children as slaves with them and ransacked everything in the city. So it's my personal opinion. This isn't in the Bible. This is Paul's opinion that a lot of the the people that were now with Jacob's company had the foreign Elohim, the little G gods. That's why the scripture says they gave him the, the foreign gods and the earrings. Mm-hmm. And the earrings have something to do with the worship or they had images on them. You know, I don't know. It's all speculation. But I think that the, the company that was with Jacob now were a lot of them were from Shechem. Right. Right. So, cause the only, the only other time that we hear of a foreign God is when Rachel took her father Laban's 
gods, mm-hmm. those little Elohim, and sat on them on a, on a you know camel. That's mm-hmm. that's the last time you hear something like that. But for our text here, it's very important that Jacob says, "Get rid of foreign gods and purify yourself." Mm-hmm. They go hand in hand, and it goes hand in hand with change your clothes. These three things: get rid of foreign gods, purify yourselves, and change clothes. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I was going to say that when you go into the first—I mean, the New Testament—when um, you put away the strange gods from among you. Um, John, the apostle in 1 John 5, 21 says, keep yourselves from idols. Mm-hmm. And then also to be clean in John 15, 3, it says, Jesus tells his disciples, now you are clean through the word which I have spoken to you. Beautiful. Because see, the New Testament writers understood all this, mm-hmm. all this uh, in the Torah. They understood that when John says, you know, stay away from idols. So what does that mean? We don't have idols in our backyard. This is what that means. Purify yourselves, get rid of foreign gods, those things in your life that you spoke earlier that the Holy spirit reveals to you. That's no good for you. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you what they are. They're, they're, they're specific to you and your relationship to God. Mm -hmm. And God will tell you what needs to get, go away. You know, it could be anything from, um, um, an attitude, mm-hmm. things that you really covet yep. in your life. It could be a job. It could be family members. It could be a desire that you want. You yes. know, anything that comes before God is an idol. Yep. That shall not have any other gods before me. I'm going to give a shameless uh, commercial here, but we wrote a book. That's an e- we wrote an ebook a couple of years ago called Idolicide which I thought was a real cool title because it means the killing of idols. But apparently the rest of the world didn't think it was so cool because about three people actually read it, um, bought it and read it. Those who did read it really liked it. But idolicide is exactly written about what we're now talking about, about getting rid of those idols, getting rid of those things in your life that are idols. And we go through this, this ebook. And we explain a lot of different um, things that can be in your life, a lot of different um, ways to look at things to get rid of it. Okay, it was called Idolicide. It didn't do well in the uh, in the Amazon bookstore. Even our listeners, Christians, didn't even really buy it. We incorporated Idolicide, the book, into the paperback version of Eyes to See Unseen Enemies. Mm-hmm. Eyes to See Unseen Enemies now has the total ebook idolicide within that book mm-hmm. because it does go hand in hand because Eyes to See Unseen Enemies is about the apostate church. And so idolicide is it goes hand in hand with that. So that's a shameless plug, but that is available at online books, you know, retailers on Amazon. You can get the paperback um, if you don't have it. Idolicide's in there. I would recommend it. Mm-hmm. If you if this message is kind of speaking to you and you're struggling with any of these foreign gods, look at that. Mm-hmm. So purify yourself. Purify yourself. You have to do something. You have to get rid of this stuff and get washed. 
and change clothes. Mm-hmm. Now, spiritually speaking, you, you're, you're getting rid of that, that carnal nature, that man that you're clothed in, and clothe yourself in the Lord Yeshua HaMashiach. Mm-hmm. And then when it says to change your garment, if you go to Ephesians 4, 24, it says, I'm going to read it, mm-hmm. and that ye put on the new man, because you're a new creation in Christ Jesus, Amen. which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. And then in Romans uh, 3.12, it says we are to put on the armor of righteousness and the armor of God, which is listed in Ephesians 6.11. Now I'm going to go to Colossians uh, 3.10 through 17, and it says, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, uh, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, and long-suffering. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. That is our standard. That is the new man that we are to become. That's Bethel. Yep. Yeah. Well, I like that. And you get rid of all that old stuff and purify yourselves. Beautiful. You see, folks, how it all, how the Bible interprets the Bible, proper hermeneutics, exegesis, the spirit of the Bible, when we're telling you something, we're, we're drawing this out or exegeting out of this Genesis uh, narrative, mm-hmm. and yet you can find the same uh, topic, the same language in the New Testament, mm-hmm. written by Paul, the words of Christ, written by John, the revelator. I mean, it's, it's the word of God. Mm-hmm. It's taken as a whole in context. Yeah. So when right. in the Old Testament it says change your garment, that's basically what it is. Become a new creation in Christ Amen. Jesus. You take off the old man and put on the new man, which is Christ Jesus. Amen. And that's exactly how to exegete uh, these these scriptures. See, and the next step is to rise, right? Yes. And then in Colossians uh, 3, 1 through 4, it says... If ye be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God, and set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Amen. Because part of the the Genesis narrative here is that they're to arise, you know, purify themselves, get rid of foreign gods and everything, and go on to Bethel to build that altar because God has answered Jacob in his distress, right? He's keeping that promise. Jacob's keeping his promise. They're in covenant together. But in this this particular passage, it says, then they gave their foreign gods and their earrings to Jacob, and he buried them 
under the tabernacle tree near Shechem. In other mm-hmm. words, he buried all that stuff in the land of Canaan. Mm-hmm. He didn't bring it with him to Bethel. Mm-mm. So, and that's just what you read about getting rid of this stuff, being hidden, mm-hmm. being hidden in Christ. That stuff is now buried in the world, buried in the land of Canaan. Mm-hmm. Get rid of it. Yep. And move on to Bethel. And when you go to Bethel, Jesus actually is building his church now, mm-hmm. the temple of God. And remember in uh, Corinthians, it says that uh, we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. That's right. And what does Peter say that we're um, lively stones? Lively stones. Mm-hmm. Being built. We are the temple. There is no third temple in Israel, folks. You all know that. We are the temple. And the Holy Spirit's dwelling in us. So as we conclude Jacob's journey, as they bury everything in the land of Canaan, no harm comes to them because God puts fear in the Canaanites' hearts about them. So they don't pursue them. And then God reiterates his promise to Jacob, his blessing, the name change, being fruitful, having a community of nations, kings, and land that come from him. And this marks the end of Jacob's journey back to the land to his fathers. And he never leaves Bethel. Mm-mm. So we need to get back to Bethel. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that uh, Jacob said, he's built an altar. And in the New Testament, that altar is to deny self, take up your cross daily, mm-hmm. and to follow Jesus. Even in Romans uh, 12, 1, 2, it says, Beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed to the, by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. See, that's why it's important to read the Word, to know what the Word says, what God expects of you. You know, and it also prevents you from going to the left and going to the right, but keeping your eye upon Jesus. And also in Galatians 3.20, this is my favorite scripture where it says, um, let me see if I can find it. Is it 3.20? Hmm. Well, you find it. I just want to say what you had mentioned about pick up your cross and deny yourself. Mm Mm-hmm that being part of the altar because that is worship that in itself is worship you're serving to worship means to serve mm-hmm. so when you deny yourself and pick up your cross that is worship that's building that altar yeah it's not singing no it's not, it's not singing and jumping up and down that's, that's not worship that's just strange behavior you know because when we when we look at the commandments the very first one is that you shall not have any any other gods before me. That's what God is saying. And you are what you worship. And so even in, in the command, the second commandment says, and thou shalt not make any graven image of anything that's in heaven, on earth, or under in, in the water. Mm-hmm. So we're not supposed to make anything, regardless if we make something with our hands, but something that we fashion within our hearts. That's something that we build within our heart that we worship, that we want, that we desire. Mm-hmm. All those things have to be torn down because you are what you worship. And we have to put God there in our hearts because we are to become like him. And that's why our treasure, we have to guard against the things that we put in our heart. Because God said, out of the abundance of our heart 
is what we speak, is what we become. We are what we we look at. And so we have to continue to look at Jesus because that's who we become. And we put that word in us so that that's what the Holy Ghost uses to 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 um to form us into his image. And the scripture that I was looking for was Galatians two uh twenty, where it says I am crucified with Christ. See, we've been crucified with Christ. We are no longer our own. We belong to God. His blood purchased us. So we are no longer our, our own where we go, well, we want to do this and this and that. No, we belong to God, and it's what he wants for us that we become. So I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. It's the new man that lives in us now, not the old man. And that's who we're supposed to mortify. We're supposed to get rid of the things of the flesh, our lust. It's no longer alive. We are dead in Christ, period, Mm -hmm. right? We're new creatures in Christ. And the life which I live now in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Buried in Shechem. Mm Amen. Amen. The other thing you had you had mentioned about, um, you know, cleanliness before mm-hmm. God, uh, uh, about it's it's not okay to you know you're you're mortifying the flesh. It's not mm-hmm. okay to just keep on going. But it reminded me of um, what Jesus says: it's not what goes into a man that defiles him; it's what comes out. Because mm-hmm. you're reading the scripture about the heart, you know, all the evil stuff in the heart, and that's what you're. You're getting rid of. Mm-hmm. And so when we put on, when we read the word and we put the word in us and we obey the word and stuff, then we need to guard what's in our heart. Yeah. Those, The word of God, the things that are, that the Holy Spirit puts in our hearts when we become more like Christ, those are the treasures that he puts there and mm-hmm. we're responsible for. Mm-hmm. And we yeah. need to guard that. So it really is uh, a huge, huge disservice for this this pastor we talked about at the very beginning of this church for his wife to say, yo, you can teach, but you, you got to teach out of a book because our women don't read the Bible. Mm-hmm. After everything we just said here, I mean, just that's just incredible um, that you would be so flippant mm-hmm. with such a great salvation. Yeah. Amazing. So anything else? That was very good. So we're going to end, and I'm going to play this song, Welcome Back, by Chuck Gerard. Yeah, and really listen to the words, you know? Just really listen to it. Yeah, it's a beautiful song. Okay, we'll talk to you uh, in a bit. Ciao, babies. (laughs) 